Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Believe in Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. Today's episode is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. The NFL, it's back. It's in full swing. And you might not be at the game this year, but you can still be in on all the action at BetOnline. We're recording this on Monday afternoon Pacific time. There's a Bears game tonight at home, and they're three-point underdogs. What are you going to do about that, Bears fans? And on betonline.ag, from game spreads and totals to team player and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than any place online. And there's always that online casino as well. It never closes. So head to betonline.ag today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Again, that's betonline.ag and sign up today. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for coming on to the pod. we got a big week here on Betting Chicago. Tons of really great podcasts coming up. And today, we're going to start with a little hoops. So it's time to bring back my good friends, my hoops honchos. Let's introduce them to talk about the NBA draft today. First coming up on his draft profile, they said that his upside is like a tidal wave. His ceiling goes to the stars, and he's crafty, as in he knows how to make a mean craft macaroni and cheese. It's Mike Joy. What's up, Mike? (laughs) Joey, hey, man. Do we finally break that number four curse of Eddie Curry, Marcus Pfizer, and Tyrus Thomas? I was going to say, we can keep going on that list, unfortunately. Dougie McDermott, it list goes on and on, but hopefully <laughs> let's see if we can get it right this year at number four. And also coming up on the pod, they nicknamed him in college. He's coming into the draft. He's the chief of beef. He's the saint in the paint. He's a tall drink of slaughter. It's Aaron Hagel. What's up, Joey? NBA draft, one of my favorite days of the year. Yeah, man. I, one of my favorite days of the year, too, as well. And you know what? For Bulls fans, it's especially been a long time since we've actually had something tangible to talk about with the Chicago Bulls roster. We're going to get into a lot of that today. But first, let's just kick off with the news of the day. Breaking news, the first of perhaps several trades over the next couple days leading up to this NBA draft on Wednesday. Chris Paul on the move again from the Oklahoma City Thunder over to the Phoenix Suns. If I'm getting it correct or if I'm missing a piece, please let me know. But I believe it's going to be for Ricky Rubio, Kelly Oubre, a first-round pick in 2022, and Ty Jerome. Higgs, I want to get your opinion on this first. What do you think of this trade? Big move by the Suns. They're, it looks like they're going to really try and go, actually go for it next year. Yeah, I mean, this is uh, – the Suns usually do the wrong thing. I think they did the right thing here, actually. Uh, you know, they – Oubre is good, but bringing in CP3, you got that steady hand. And now he's going to handle the ball. Booker can move off the ball more and just be an absolute scoring machine. Lob City all day to DeAndre Ayton down low. And for the you know for OKC, they've been trying to unload CP3's contract since, since the season ended because they own so much money. They're going with the youth movement. They unloaded Schroeder, I think today I guess technically, uh, to the Lakers. So they get a first round pick back. I think they now have 16 or 17 first-round picks between now and 2026. So I think it's a good trade for both sides. Uh, but this makes the Suns, I think, legit threat in the West. Yeah, that's a great point, especially with the way that they played at the end of the bubble. You know, they were the one of the biggest stories going into the playoffs. They didn't make the playoffs, obviously, but I think they won, ripped off 9-10 in a row. They think they've got a window here to be competitive. So what else do you do with bringing CP3 onto your team try and give yourself some a bit of a legitimacy. Troy, I want to ask you, you know, the, the word mercenary kind of gets thrown around in a derogatory sense, but this has kind of become CP3's career over the last couple of seasons. Do you like this move? Because in a theory, I mean, th- this guy seems to be come into any situation and immediately bring stability to an offense and a team. 
Well, it's not just CP3, right? This is the state of the current NBA trend of players just going wherever they want, where they think it could give them a championship. So, you know, uh, no, no, uh, you know, the fact that CP3 is doing it and so be it. Um, you know, I think, again, you guys nailed it. Uh, you have an established Hall of Famer point guard coming to an ascending team. We saw what they did in the bubble. I mean, the fact that they didn't make the playoffs was actually crazy because what they, they won like, I think they, they won like, yeah, right? So they pretty much won all their uh, regular season, quote unquote, regular season bubble games. Um, so yeah, they're ready to make that ascent and kind of push the Lakers, push potentially Portland. You know, we'll see what, uh, you know, the next step forward that the Mavericks Mavericks make. But um, yeah, that's steady hand. You guys nailed it. You know, now Devin Booker can just concentrate on being a scorer. Um, and, you know, also Aaron kind of nailed it with, I think the person who's really going to take that jump forward with CP3 is DeAndre Ayton. Uh, I think he's going to elevate his game. You know, that pick and roll is just going to make Ayton that much more powerful on offense. So, yeah, man, big, big, big move for Phoenix. And, the, yeah, they're going for it in 2021. An interesting situation for the Oklahoma City Thunder, a team that, you know, has well-documented, have lost a lot of, you know, for, uh, former MVPs that were on their roster no longer on their team. And last year, it seemed like there was going to be a down year for them. And it wasn't the case because of CP3. And then, you know, you know, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, they've got some pieces there, too, in the front court. They still have Steven Adams, Danilo Gallinari, players like that. And it seems like when you trade a player like Chris Paul, you're like, oh, well, we're not going to be competitive next season. But I, I wouldn't say that about the Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, with Kelly Oubre and Ricky Rubio, you know, they're completely remaking their backcourt right now. But they still have SGA. They still have the number 10 pick in this draft. We'll see what they do with this. And I still think they could be a team that continues to, you know, be competitive in the West. I don't know if they're going to be a playoff team necessarily, but they're not going to be one of the worst teams. And they could still continue to maybe trade some of these players and get assets. So, I mean, as a Bulls fan, in terms of what we've been dealing with the last six years, a little jealous. But I think we're now at a different point. We're at a different point in our organizational process with, you know, Karnisovas is now our general manager. I'm super excited about this draft on Wednesday. Higgs, you, you know, you mentioned on your intro that this is your favorite time of year, especially as a huge hoops fan. Just talk a little bit more about that. Why do you love the NBA draft so much? Uh, it's just exciting. You know, um, I like college basketball as well. I'm more of an NBA guy, but you know, these, these are guys I've seen throughout the year and you know, it's always exciting to, if there's any trades going down, you know, a Woj bomb coming here and there, which is always fun and exciting. Um, I don't know. Maybe it's a part of me too. It's just like really happy for these guys. It's a big moment for them. You know, they've worked towards this their whole life and it's like a big moment. And um, yeah, I don't know. I just love it. It's super fun. Well, the NBA draft too is very special because unlike a baseball draft, when you know you're not going to see these guys for a couple of years and even football, you know, one injury away can really ruin a guy's career with basketball. It's just that untapped potential, right? It's just, you get a guy and you just don't really a hundred percent know a, is he going to work out? B, could he be a superstar? Could he be an all-star? Could he be the guy that you're going to buy his jersey three or four years down the road if they make the right pick? And that's super exciting. Joy, I want to ask you about this draft specifically. I do want to hear about why you, why you like the NBA draft so much, but also all year, you know, no March Madness this year. doesn't seem like there's a, there's a surefire all-star pick. But I don't know about you. I'm kind of getting excited about this one a little bit. I'm starting to see the potential in some of these guys. I'm not saying that this is a, you know, an NBA changing draft, but am I getting too excited, Mike? Or are you also with me that, you know, every year you got to find a couple all-stars in each and every draft. You just got to do the right kind of, uh, you got to do the right picking. Well, you know, I, I'm conflicted because first of all, uh, in general, to me, the NBA draft is 
exciting any draft because it's 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 the idea of hope is the idea that oh my god we can get that guy who potentially is the guy that puts us over the top right um i think specifically for the bulls it becomes that much much more exciting in this last generation because unfortunately we've always been in the lottery you know when the bulls were winning championships i don't care who they drafted at 28 i don't, I don't care think who i they watched drafted. one nba draft yeah, right? in the 90s yeah yeah so it only in in a weird way becomes exciting because we are such a crappy team because we have the ability to draft a lottery guy um you know, with that being said, uh, I, I'm conflicted on, you know, I think it's exciting because there's so many unknowns this year, right? For so many different reasons because of COVID. Uh, the prospects, you know, the guy who's drafted number one could be as good as the guy drafted 14th in the lottery. You know, and obviously there's always variables any year when it comes to any draft. But I think this year in particular, because of COVID-19 and all the ways it's affected, you know, all sports, you know, stemming down to this draft, uh, we could see a lot of uh, volatility. So in that case, for me, like, you know, in years past, as you guys know, I was like, man, if we don't get a top five pick, I don't care where we go in the lottery, right? This year, we have a top five pick. And again, you know, a guy who goes 14, maybe even outside of the lottery, right? 15 and beyond could be just as good as any of those top three guys. So yes, in general, I'm excited because this guy could be the guy that is a, a franchise defining player or more so than not could be the year that, you know, the guy we drafted at 22 could have been just as good. We are making a great point too as well. And, and Higgs, I want to throw this to you because this is a really interesting situation because we are in a situation where we have Arturis now in the front office. This is his first draft. And this is what happens when you give, you know, the guys that new opportunity. You really want to see what their first moves are. And this is truly outside of hiring – Billy Donovan and, and Mo Cheeks the other day as their new assistant assistant coach. You know, this is a moment for him to really kind of put his stamp in the organization. Give us a little bit of a glimpse of who he likes and who he doesn't like, what he looks for in a player. And Higgs, what do you think, man? Like, he's talking about March Madness and it being a disadvantage because we can't see all these guys. I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to really learn who, like, Arturis Karnisovas is based on who he's going to take here at number four. Yeah, it's, it's, that's actually a good point. Um, we don't know how he's going to draft, I guess. Yeah, it's not easy. Uh, no, I, I, yeah, I mean, we don't know, like, what his flavor is. Is he more of, like, you know, a 3 and D guy? Is he more of, like, a Euro guy? Because that's what he knows. Maybe that's his background. I don't know, man. So I'm just crossing my fingers, dude. Both my fingers getting crossed. And hopefully he makes a move that we all like. And, Higgs, follow up with you just real quick. It also sort of lessens the blow a little bit, right, where this is not the type of draft where we know, like Choi said, the four, five, six, the first six guys are all going in order, no big deal. It kind of says no matter who he takes, are we really going to be throwing our hat on the ground or are we going to be going, okay, I'm going to trust you a little bit. It seems like that the leash is a little bit longer because it's his first pick. Yeah, definitely. I, I, I totally agree with you. He definitely gets a pass this year, no matter what happens. I mean, if, it, if it, his pick turns out great, great. But if it doesn't, it's going to be an asterisk like most of the season has been, you know. Um, but he's making moves so far. So far, I like what he's doing. So I just, once again, hopefully he makes a good move with the number four pick, which I'm open to trading as well. And, of course, a lot can happen because there are a couple of guys that I personally like, which we're about to get into, that if he does fall to number four, he'd be stupid not to take. And then there's a couple other guys, too, that – if he took them, you can kind of wrap your head around and be like, oh, this is the kind of player that he likes. And then there's another area where he could take someone that, you know, right now is maybe going top 10, top 12, 
at number four and you're like, well, this guy, you know, the Ryan Pace, he's got conviction in the guy. He's going to go for it. So this can go in a lot of different directions. Choi, I want to go to you first. Let's just start diving into this NBA draft a little bit. And let's just start with a guy that I don't think is going to be on the board at number four. So let's get him out of the way. Do you think personally, in your opinion, that Anthony Edwards deserves to be the consensus number one pick? And do you think he'll go number one to the Timberwolves? Well, first to kind of backtrack a little bit on Arturas, I think we can glean a little bit of what his mindset may be. You know, he comes from Denver, right? We know the kind of offense that Denver has, a spread run type offense, a lot of versatility in all their players. Um, And we also know that he's a Euro. Um, So, you know, when you ask me who lines up as a versatile offensive player that is a Euro, and that's our kid from Israel. Denny, man. You're going Denny. to Denny. So that, 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 that's my guy um, who, you know, again, all the prognications kind of lead it towards him potentially being the most likely pick for the Bulls at four. But to your question, you know, again, you know, when we talk about volatility, typically in a given NBA draft year, we know those top three guys. Uh, and even more specific, we kind of know who's going to be the number one or number two pick, right? Um, this year, again, whether it's Edwards, whether it's Mello, which I don't want any part of ball. I don't want any part of that guy or Weissman. <laughs> you know, in, in, in every major publication you see, those three guys get flip-flopped in every, you know, ranking, in every mock draft. So does, uh, to your question, that was a long-winded way to come back to your question, does he deserve to be the number one pick? Sure, 100%. But, you know, so does Ball. So does, you know, Weissman. And I think, you know, we're sitting pretty at four because I, I feel like it's just like, hey, whoever falls to us outside of ball, I do not want ball. Again, I want to state I do not want ball. But whoever falls to us at four, I think we, you know, just that, that's the perfect situation. We just take whoever's there at four. Yeah, it's going to be one of those weird emotional moments where typically, like when a guy doesn't get drafted or, or what was it, you know, when Okafer slipped a little bit, he was going to be the number one. You're like, wow, he's still on the board or whatever. But if Anthony Edwards doesn't go first, we're not going to be like shocked, right? But if he does go one, we'll, you know, we won't also be shocked to either. So, like, my question is, let's just put ourselves in the position of the Bulls up top and let's see if we can work our way through who's going to be available at four. Higgs, if you were on the Bulls, let's take the Timberwolves out of it. Would you want Edwards or Weissman on your team? Weissman. He's my number one guy in this thing. I, I saw a tape on him last year because he's like one guy's talked about, you know, the guy coming to Memphis – and for me, when I first saw him, I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. He's huge. He's 7'1", what, 235. Not even the same breath, but he reminded me a little bit of Durant, but a bigger Durant. Not the same scoring, of course, but he's smooth, man. He's not only a big dude, but – and I always remember uh, growing up, our, our high school's coach had a basketball camp, and I remember him always saying, you can't teach height. And I agree. You can't teach somebody to be 7-1. And I think this guy has untapped potential. He played, what, three, three college games before he got ruled ineligible? I mean, I don't know. If, but the thing is, Tebow's the number one pick. I know they've done their homework. I read an article. They actually called the Houston Rockets and asked them, how did it work with Akeem and Ralph Sampson together in the 80s? And I thought that was actually a really smart thing for the Tebow's to do to do their homework. And if they don't pick Wiseman, then if I'm the T-Wolves, I'm picking Anthony Edwards. They don't need another five. They got Cat. They don't need a ball handler because they got D'Angelo. What do they need? They need guys, three and D guys. And to me, 
Anthony Edwards is the best of those top three to five picks. Yeah, more or less they're trying to replace what was the potential of Andrew Wiggins in theory, right? And I think that's what's going to be really interesting too is let's just say the T-Wolves – if the T-Wolves were willing to take Wiseman, I think it would probably say more about whether they, how they feel about the future of Carl Anthony Towns, maybe more about the future of Weissman. But I'm right there with you with him where, and Troy, I want to hear from you. Like, If Weissman goes to number two with the Warriors, all of a sudden you've got a guy that's 7-1 who has tons of athleticism who, look, we don't really know what his ceiling is. He feels a lot like the Embiid situation of a couple, what was it, four, five, six years ago where – I'm not saying that they're the same type of player, but a situation where you just saw got a small glimpse of a guy and you saw the athleticism and you saw the length, but that's really all you kind of got. So you're not exactly sure of the type of player that you're getting and then the type of player that he's going to look like in two or three years. But Weissman to me seems like a guy that, you know, when they go to that death lineup, the Warriors do, he could actually probably factor into that and be a piece, an athletic piece for them where, you know, typically size doesn't fit with them in those fourth quarter moments. He seems like a guy that could possibly fit in. You know, Troy, what are your thoughts on, on Weissman? And, you know, you, are you with, you know, Higgs? Do you think he's maybe the best player in the draft? No, I don't think he's the best player in the draft. But I do agree with a lot of uh, uh, Aaron's uh, assessment of him. Um, the Durant comparison is, I think, I think that maybe that's a little bit of a stretch maybe per se. But, um, no, what Aaron said is, is perfectly you know, right on line with what I'm thinking. For me, I mean, this goes back to um, more of a philosophy to me. A top five pick, definitely a top three pick, throw out what you need on your team out the window. You draft the, in my opinion, you draft the best person available. I mean, all we have to look at is our beloved Michael Jordan. Thank God that, you know, you know, the uh, Portland Trailblazers didn't think that, like, well, we already have a guard in Clyde Drexler, so we don't need another guard. No. You draft the best player available. You throw out positional needs out the window, um, in my opinion. That, that's kind of like my philosophy in terms of, of, of drafting in any of the sports uh, with, with a high, high pick like that. You know, for me, in terms of Weissman, uh, I kind of see him more. His, his absolute upside to me is Anthony Davis. I think they kind of had that in my opinion, from the tape, I've seen a very similar game, like a big man who can shoot a little bit outside. You would think if, if he has the work ethic, which I know has kind of been in question, we've seen these guys who can develop that shot. So to Aaron's point, you can't teach size. You cannot teach height. You cannot teach athleticism. You can teach shooting, though. And a lot of these guys, especially in the last five years, have developed a, a, a perimeter game um, for guys you never would have thought would have had a perimeter game. Um, you know, I think at worst case scenario, he's a DeAndre Jordan. I mean, we kind of talked about that prior to recording, but uh, if that's his worst case scenario, that's still pretty strong. Um, and but a, quick yeah, I just, fo- a quick follow-up to that too. Do you think a, a player like Weissman, do you think where he lands is going to be really important? And by that, I mean, if you're talking about a guy that perhaps maybe needs to learn a little bit more discipline, a little bit more of the NBA work ethic, you know, him going to Minnesota and him going to Golden State are two wildly yeah, different things. Yeah, Those could be exactly. two different careers for him. Yeah, so from that standpoint, I, I totally believe in, yeah, the, the, the environment you go to really dictates your progression, right? Your, uh, how you can become as a player. And that's why, again, the talk is like, you know, um, Golden State can afford to take a guy like Ball because they have the infrastructure and the leadership to kind of mold him. If, he goes, if Ball goes to the Bulls or any of these other teams, it's like, man, I don't want to see more like half-court shooting and, a, you know, and a, a no-look pass that flies, you know, 30 feet, you know, uh, past the – 
the, uh, the basket. So, um, yeah, in terms of talent, I, I personally don't see Weissman as a guy who, and again, this draft is different, but I want a guy in a top three pick. If, if that guy isn't a perennial all-star potential MVP candidate every year as a top three pick, it's a bust. In my opinion, that's a bust because that's what you're drafting in a top three pick. I don't see James Weissman being a perennial all-star, much less an MVP candidate. I'll probably be proven wrong five years on the road like I am with a lot of my pronostications, but uh, I just don't see that upside in Weissman. Whereas a guy like Edwards, you know, I do see that. Well, it's hard to fill the shoes of the players that came before you, like the Tyrus Thomases, like the perennial all-stars that you're talking about. Uh, so, speaking, so speaking of that, and then that's the other thing too is, and Higgs, maybe I can ask you this question, you know, I, my expectations are a bit tempered in this draft where, I, you know, Choi, to your point, you know, the top three picks, these guys got to be perennial all-stars. These got to be franchise cornerstones. I think everyone's on board with this might not necessarily be the year for that draft. But Higgs, I mean, are, are you with me that I think every single year, though, you are going to still find two to three all-stars. And typically a draft will probably yield, what, maybe four or five, maybe even six guys that six years from now you're like, oh, he's playing in game five of the Eastern Conference Finals. Or, oh, you know, all of a sudden he stepped into the starting lineup and he's actually playing pretty well. So it feels like more like a value draft this year than probably, you know, the guy that's going to turn around your franchise kind of draft. Yeah, but I'm, I'm a fan of that stuff, man. You know, everyone's always looking for the home runs, but I think if you're picking at whatever outside the lottery, you know, 14 to 30, if you're getting a guy who's the seventh, eighth guy off the bench who's solid, he's going to come in, play good defense, you know, not make mistakes, to me that's, that's equally as valuable, maybe not equally as valuable, but valuable if you're not picking in the lottery. When you, every team needs those guys. What's wrong with that? No, it's true. I mean, I guess in the Bulls situation, because we've been picking seventh, it seems like we're picking the sixth, seventh guy off the playoff uh, of a, a bench of a playoff team year after year. So maybe we're looking for something a little bit different, but I'm right there with you. And also too, I just keep thinking in the back of my mind, these typically tend to be the drafts where everyone, you know, when there's tons of hype around something, we always focus on that, but this is the draft where we're not really hyping on one player. So it always feels like that there's one diamond in the rough out there. There's the Jimmy Butler. There's the Draymond Green. There's someone maybe even like further, a little bit closer in the teens. You know, Donovan Mitchell went, what, 12th, 13th one year. You know, there are guys there that if you do your homework, you can actually pick on them. And that's where I'm getting back to this uh, Karnishevis point where if he takes somebody at four and all the mock drafts got him at 12 or 13, I don't think I'm going to be wringing my hands over it. I'm going to be like, well, the, he sees something that maybe all these other guys don't because we don't have a ton of tape on these dudes. And I think that's maybe where he'll get a little bit of a longer leash this year. You know, where I see a guy like Tyler Halliburton going anywhere from the Bulls to like number 12 Sacramento, you're like, okay, this is a big, this is a big gap right here. There's a lot to work with. Choi, hop in. Well, no, yeah, I, I, 100% agree with Aaron when he said earlier, I don't mind if the Bulls trade this pick, if they can get some value in return. Because again, to my earlier statement, the guy, and as you guys just alluded to, the guy we get at 14, let's say if we trade down, could be just as good as any of those top guys. So um, I am not opposed to the Bulls trading, given that it's a smart trade. I don't want to trade for trading sake, because that's bitten the Bulls in the butt numerous times. But if we really get some value for that number four pick, move down maybe to seven or eight, and then get like, you know, a draft pick, a year later or whatever the permutations are, I'm all for it. Um, 
I will say this about uh, kind of the exception to the rules of the, you know, the, the Siakams and the Nurkic's and the uh, Zach Randolph's and obviously Jimmy Butler, you know, to hit on those guys outside of the lottery, that's very slim. Cause you know, if we're talking in a 30 team league, you know, obviously people outside the, or teams outside the lottery are 15 and above. So kind of doing the math, there's usually only one or two guys that hit like that in any given year. And if you take that and you do the math, that's 6%, that's 6.25% of hitting on a guy outside of the lottery. So I don't want to take those kind of odds to Vegas with me. I definitely don't want to do that in an NBA draft. Um, you know, by and large, you will find that the best guys in most years' drafts are top five picks. We have the number four pick. So, again, it's like that, you know, in any other given year, I want that pick. But in this year, you know, depending on what we can do with that, um, I'm fine trading it. Yeah, Higgs, question for you. In terms of trading the pick, this might seem a little obvious, but, but, but not necessarily. Would you prefer, if we were to trade down, would you prefer that we would get some draft assets back? Would you prefer to get a player that could actually help us next year? Of course, the follow-up to that is, well, it depends on what player. But let's be honest, we kind of know what range of player that would be, unless it was some sort of huge package for, like, Bradley Beal. In that case, you're moving multiple players on the Bulls and a pick to move back and get other pieces. If you were to move back, though, would you probably prefer to get some draft assets or would you want to see if you could get a player that can help you this year? No, I'm all about draft assets. I mean, if you look on paper, we're, we're kind of full, like our roster. Like, even if whoever comes in at four, I don't see that person getting a lot of PT, man. I mean, we got Sato at the one. Not that Sato's an all-star, but, like, I like him. I like Sato. We got Dunn, who's great on defense. We got Kobe White. We got Levine. We've got Larry, Otto Porter Jr., who just opted into his $30 million contract. Not that anybody thought he would do otherwise, but he's there. Um, we got Larry, we've got Wendell, um, we got Gafford. Yeah, we've got Gafford. So I don't see anybody coming in at four that can even break break any of that. They probably only get a bunch of PT. So I'm cool trading back, getting future draft picks because Otto Porter Jr.'s contract is coming off the books next year. Uh, I think Levine has maybe another year or two uh, left as well. So uh, unless, you know, unless we just absolutely have to have this guy at four, you know, he's going to be the future or something, you know, but. Yeah. And it sounds like we're all, we're on, on agreement with something and it's all coming together for Bulls fans out there listening to this pod. And I think we're both all on the same board of just take the best player available and not just the best player available, maybe the best potential out there, you know, I'm cool with us taking a home run swing this year. I'm cool with us taking a guy that we think could possibly become the 25-point scorer in this league over someone that we know just, you know, isn't going to screw up when he comes into the second quarter and plays the first five minutes of that second quarter. I think we're all cool with trying to go for that and maybe not necessarily – you hear all the time, like, you know, we can't take a power forward because we already have Wendell Carter and Laurie Markin in there, like, Honestly, that's bullshit. Like, they have to also sit at some point. These minutes go around in a rotation. You can always have more pieces and more competition, especially on your own team. And I think, like, we're all on the same page of just trying to get the team better, no matter what area. There's no particular area that the Bulls need to target as a fit, if you will. Higgs, hop back in. Well, uh, I was going to ask you a question, Joey. Obviously, uh, Joey doesn't want LaMelo Ball at all. For the Bulls at number four, I'm wondering your thoughts. If, if LaMelo falls to the Bulls at four, would you draft him or not? Um, I have to be honest with you. No balls. 
No, <laughs> no balls for me, my friend. I'm completely with Mike Choi on this one. Of course, if he gets picked at number four, we're going to have to wrap our heads around it very quickly. But there's a couple of things that really worry me. One was, you know, he's an amazing passer, but he had bad decision-making. That sounds like Jay Cutler football to me. You know what I mean? Amazing arm, bad decision-making. We all know what the ball family, and it's in all the scouting ports that you're going to read about LaMelo, is that his shot needs to be completely reworked. So forgive me, but last time I checked in the Bulls, we don't possess a ton of shooting on our team already for a guy to come in and have to completely rework his shot and then hope that it works out is a really tall order for me. On top of that as well, I don't want to compare him to his brother Lonzo because I think at this point Lonzo has been a disappointment, not a bad basketball player, but as you mentioned, Troy, a number two pick. So for that value with what he's putting out there on the court right now, definitely a disappointment. I don't want to say he's better or worse than his brother, but at the same time, I, I think the, the, the dad thing has moved on for me. I'm not so worried about his daddy messing with the team and talking in the radio and the newspapers. I don't think that's going to be a big, huge thing anymore, but he just screams like a bust to me. He, he seems like a guy that maybe in his seventh or eighth year ends up on Portland and all of a sudden has a role on a team. You know what I mean? Like, you know, not to knock Sean Livingston, had a great second half of his career, but the first half of his career was, was gross. And uh, it was a complete disappointment. Sebastian Telfer, players like that. So I don't know. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, no, if he was on the board of four, I probably would skip him. What would you do, Higgs? I don't know. You know, I was definitely against LaMelo, but I don't know. I've been reading some things and a lot of these NBA draft gurus love him. The one guy said that he's, not only the number one player, he's in his own tier. That's how good he is. Wow. So what I did was, you know, in our fantasy basketball league, uh, one of the other um, players is Pat Chesterfield, who lives in Sydney, Australia. So I actually texted him the other day, and I asked him if he had a chance to see LaMelo play in Australia. Uh, he said he did. Here's a couple of tidbits that, that Pat said. He said, very raw, uh, but still definitely a talent, still learning how to actually play the game at a high level. Shot's okay, needs to improve. Uh, his best asset, though, is probably vision, particularly out of the PNR. Biggest weakness is on D, gambles too much. But he said he read a story about the very first practice he ever had, and he, they said that he had no clue what basic drills like a three-man weed was, and they thought oh, he was man. joking. Oh, man. But, but – the one thing they said is they all liked him a lot and said he was a really good kid, which I was surprised by. Oh, yeah. I, I don't doubt that he – I don't think he would be like a problem in the locker room. I definitely think he wants to be successful, and him playing in Australia had more of a product to do with his family and college and all that stuff than him probably specifically. This all just smacks – these are huge red flags to me. And I know Ricky Rubio now is a quality player and actually a player that the Bulls would like to have on his team. But I remember the same stuff about him. Incredible vision. Great passer. Oh, yeah, he can't shoot. Uh, also, oh, yeah, his defense isn't great. And it took him, what, six, seven years to finally find a place in the NBA where he could be a useful player. Choi, I'm dying to hear from you. Hop in. Well, <laughs> again, we talk about all these projections and, and, and things that, like, these guys could be in the best-case scenario. Let's talk about something concrete. By all accounts, his interviews with teams have gone horribly in these last couple of weeks, just proving once again that he's kind of a head case. You know, to Aaron's point – the fact that he's been so pampered in his life that he doesn't know basic drills that are taught to grade school kids in their junior rec leagues is amazing. And to the point of like his best, best asset is his passing, is his vision. We have two other guys 
who are point guards in this draft, who those are also their best assets and Killian Hayes and Halliburton. So, I mean, his best assets are things that other guys in this draft can provide. Um, But just more importantly to, to Aaron's point, I think Aaron, you nailed it. Like, you don't want a project at the number one pick. Again, we talk about these are guys who are supposed to be your franchise players. So uh, a project at number one, number two, maybe even number three, I, I don't want any part of a project guy, much less a guy who's a head case by all accounts. And again, he's only what, 19, I believe. So yeah, you know, there is a, there is a chance that he, he matures, but when, when have head cases ever worked out longer than a year or two? I mean, we can talk about Ron Artest, you know. We can talk about DeMarcus Cousins, Josh Smith, Michael Beasley, Lamar Ron Odom. Artest worked out, though. Well, for like I said, for a year or two, but always with these guys, they eventually outstay their welcome. I, I, don't, I don't want that because, again, we invest in that. We deal with the headaches with, you know, ball for like three, four years. What happens? He leaves and then becomes a better player for somebody else, somebody else's team. So, uh, yeah, and I, I, I know, and I know we're talking about like, I know I just said, like, you know, you don't want to look at fit or whatever, but you do have to sort of think about how it sort of plays out. And we're talking about passing and vision, and that doesn't mean shit when Zach Levine has the ball. I mean, honestly. And then it also get another situation of is LaMelo ever going to feel pressure to like, I got to get mine because I haven't gotten a, shot, a couple shots down the court because Kobe White and Zach Levine are shooting the ball a lot. I just sort of have questions a little bit. I'm also questioning a dude that has never done the drill where one of my favorite drills where you're just, you're, you're shooting it off the backboard, you get in a line and you just bop it off the backboard and you go one after the other. You're telling me he doesn't know that drill. It's like when he comes up, he just, he's not the last guy that puts it in. He's the middle guy that puts it in and totally screws it up. I don't know if I can handle that. Higgs hop in. Yeah. I mean, once again, if they, if they draft me four, when is this guy going to get any PT? He's not going to play over any of those guys. And what's going to happen? My guess is he'd have a, you know, be a sourpuss and you know, pissed off that he's not starting and blah, blah, blah. So in my opinion, it's not a good fit. I have read, though, that the Bulls are high on him. However, that could also easily be a smokescreen because there's got be, to be a team here who wants him really bad. And maybe that's the team that the Bulls can, tra- can trade with, trade down, and whoever else gets mass sets in the future. But, yeah, I, I don't know, dude. He's tall, though. He's 6'7". He's a big dude. And, and it, it, it's, it's, super, it's super tough, too, because I think we're all perhaps in agreement that Edwards and Wiseman are pretty much going 1-2 probably in some order. And maybe even barring some trade, it'll probably remain that way. The big question is Charlotte at number three. All the mock drafts, like water is wet, has the Charlotte you know, Hornets taking a big man. They need a big man, Bismack Biombo. You know what I mean? Like Frank Kaminsky, bring it down. Let's run it back one more time. But I wouldn't be shocked if Charlotte says, hey, we're going to take LaMelo and go for a home run swing and try and actually get someone dynamic in their backcourt, which opens us up to the Bulls at number four. Guys, it's that time. We've talked about it a little bit. I just want to hear We're going to go with Hagues first at number four. You have your pick, and let's just take Edwards and Weissman off the board because if they're there at number four, that becomes an easy pick. Take those two guys off. Who is the one guy that you want at four? Who would you be happy with, and who would you select? Uh, It's a close one, but I think I would overall go with uh, Tyrese Halliburton. Ooh, okay. I just think he's got, you know, uh, words thrown around a lot, vision, but he's just smooth. The first thought I had of him was like a deer and fox kind of player. He's fast. He's silky smooth. He, he finds the open person. 
you need a playmaker. Kobe White, we've talked about. To me, like I've said before, he's like a Lou Williams guy. He's like a volume shooter. He's not really a pure point guard, which is fine. We need guys like that. But we need a playmaker. And to me, this guy is the best out of the bunch. That's a great point because I think we're, so, we're slowly getting a little bit closer to, you know, with Zach Levine and Kobe White, we have two guys that with the ball in their hands can create their own shot. Something that is actually an integral part of winning basketball games and something that the Bulls, you know, you know, Jimmy, Jimmy was finally starting to find it but right before we traded him. And then for years we didn't have that guy. So to have a guy that can actually distribute the basketball, maybe get it into Lori's hands, Wendell's hands, and maybe even find a Kobe White open or find a Zach Levine open can actually really help this team. It's a little bit of some old school thinking, but you know what? That old school shit, it's worked for thousands and thousands of years in the NBA, and Halliburton could be that guy. Choi, before you give us your pick, how would you feel if they took Halliburton at four? I actually, you know, think he is the potentially the best point guard in this draft. I know wow. earlier on uh, they tried to make uh, Killian Hayes a thing, but I think once again you see, uh, I think the Ringer and Bill Simmons specifically tried to make Killian Hayes a thing because they, they have him as high as like the number one pick. But in all the major publications and website, like he's nowhere near the top five. Halliburton, I think, has the size, athleticism. And again, like I've mentioned it before, he reminds me of vintage Derrick Rose in his passing. I mean, just like those whip passes where he's jumping up in the air and just making that athletic last second pass as somebody cutting to the lane. I mean, shades of Derrick Rose specifically in the passing game. Um, in terms of who I want at four, you know, I, I've been saying it all along. He's going and, to and Denny's. I said it at the top of the, yeah, I want Denny. I mean, the one thing that we don't really have, you know, Zach Levine kind of falls into it, but a versatile wing, a true wing guy who's a versatile playmaker and a scorer I think you know dare I say it but small 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 shades of Luca man and if we have a guy who could potentially be Luca-esque I mean you know I know kind of the 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 uh the comparisons have been more so like a Hito Turkoglu but even if a Hito Turkoglu I would love to have a guy like that on our team um but yeah man that's the guy I want the other guy if he's there at four if if something strange happens and Denny goes a little bit early I love Obi Toppin, man. I love Obi Toppin. And the thing I hate, I just got to get this off my chest because I've kind of said it when we've talked about Elton Brand. I hate, I hate this idea that like, oh, he's 22, so he's capped at his potential. I think that's such bullshit because, again, with Elton Brand, 20 and 10, if a guy gets you 20 and 10, I'll take that any, any day, man. And the idea that like, oh, you know, and we kind of talked about with Weissman, like the, the idea of the unknown is so alluring. It's so like sexy, right? Because we don't know what this guy can be. But that's actually the downside too. We don't know what this guy can be. We've seen Obi Toppin, player of the year last year in college basketball, prove himself day in and day out. He's athletic. I think he's just as good of a dunker as, you know, my favorite player, Zion Williamson. Um, and, you know, he's, it, he, he's proven it at a high college level. So, again, he's a polished product who whatever team he goes to will be able to contribute from day one throughout, like, this whole development, you know, aspect of his game out the window. You know, that's another guy, if, if Denny's not there, that I would love to see us take at four if we keep the pick. And he's got a lot of interesting tape where you're right. He's super crafty. He can get to the hoop in like these weird unorthodox ways where like he's kind of twisting his body, but there's like a smooth, like soft touch to him. That's really interesting. His shot's pretty decent. I got a couple of red flags on him. Higgs, I, I just want to ask you, you know, 
do you like Denny? And if you do, maybe talk about what would scare you about taking him at number four, perhaps, than what, what you like so much, because Choi's mentioned a lot of the great things already. Uh, going back real quick to uh, Choi picking Obi, his, his number two guy um, behind Denny at number four. That's my very close number two. Really? When I first saw him, he reminded me immediately of Kenyon Martin. I saw Kenyon Martin play in college when he was in Cincinnati. And to me, he was one of the most ferocious players I've ever seen. Every single possession, offense or defense, that guy was just a beast, man. And he was intimidating as hell. So I would not be upset with Yadobi. Going back to Denny, Choi is the first person to tell me about Denny. So, you know, I've been reading about him for a while. And I've actually flipped on him for one reason. Here's the thing I read. That's really scaring me about this guy. Got this off the ringer. Uh, he shot 56% on 363 free throw attempts since 2017. Think about that. The past three years, he shot about 350 free throws, and he shot 56%. I played hoops, you know, growing up, and coaches always, you know, your goal is always 80%. 56%, those are like Shaq numbers, dude. Check this out. In addition to that, there is little historical precedent for a player with such poor free throw numbers to ever become a reliable shooter. That is what freaked me out, dude, because I was all about Denny at that spot, and I read that, and I was like, this guy's shooting 56% from the free throw line? That's, that's like shockingly brutal, especially for a guy who's supposed to be like a shooter. So – I was all about him, but unfortunately, I am not about him anymore because of that. Yeah, I, I, I was into it for a little while, and there's a couple red flags that kind of scare me a little bit. There's the defense aspect of him taking, like, the Euro style and being able to play defense. Can you keep him on the court as a versatile wing? Because initially when I was watching him play, just the moves that he would make offensively kind of reminded me a little bit of like Andres Nocioni minus the toughness a little bit of just a guy that just sort of gets it done. Doesn't really look pretty, but makes it happen. The problem that worries me about Denny is he just looks a little bit like maybe that rotation bench player, that sixth, seventh, eighth guy that comes off the bench and maybe doesn't necessarily, I mean, he'll contribute, but again, with the shot situation, can that actually like work out and make it happen? I mean, Troy, do you got a rebuttal to what we're saying right now? Because, you know, I, and look, we, don't, we all don't know here. We're all just trying to gauge potential. But, I mean, I think all these guys come with a little bit of a red flags to them. But you, you think Denny could actually transfer and become a consistent offensive scorer? No, Aaron made an amazing point because it was actually going to be something that I brought up too, that, like, strangely, your free throw shooting percentage is a better indicator of what you'll advance potentially as a three-point shooter at the NBA level than what your college or international three-point shooting percentage is. With, which, when I read that, that, like, that blew my mind, that that's actually a better indicator of how well you'll become as a shooter. And I guess it makes sense, because right, it's, it's the idea that like, throw everything out, throw out like, how tired you are or whatever kind of athletic shot you need to make in a game situation. That's literally pure shooting, right? Stemming, stepping up to the line, having good form, hitting that free throw. So to some sense, it does make... Um, perfect sense that that is a, a better indicating uh, factor of what you'll be as a shooter. Um, but again, you know, 100% alarming, but there are questions about, and this is, again, you guys mentioned as well, um, 
both Denny and Obi. I just love those names. It just kind of rolls out of your tongue really, really quick. <laughs> you sound quick. like but, uh, your, two, your two dogs with Makita those, running around the house. <laughs> yeah, right? But uh, what I love most, which is also an intangible, those two guys, no question about their motor, no question about their work ethic. When we talk again about Weissman, when we talk again about um, you know, Edwards, when we talk again about Ball, across the board, their biggest criticism has been what kind of motor do they have? What kind of intensity do they bring night in and night out to the basketball court? I, I want a guy, again, I, I rather fail on a guy who just tries, you know, just brings it 100% every game than a guy who's just all about potential. Because, you know, um, and again, we'll, we'll see how this all pans out. But 100%, Aaron, that, that's a great point that that is a scary, scary thing about Danny is his low free throw percentage. I didn't, I didn't even know it was, it was it's 50% is his free throw <laughs> 50, shooting percentage. 50, according to the ringers. I knew it was below 70. I knew that that was worse because they, they had kept on saying his free throw percentage is set below 70%. Yeah, 56 but 56%. Yeah, that, 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 that is scary. And again, if that, That's crazy, man. if that translates to how well of a shooter he'll be. But again, also, he, um, I do know in terms of, his general prognostication was that it was never the idea that this guy is an amazing shooter. It's more of a the versatile right. thing that it can be. So it'd be one thing if it was like, we're billing him as the next Steph Curry and then he just flounders shooting, but that isn't uh, a strength of his game. Not to say that we don't want somebody who can shoot, but that's never been the strength of his game internationally is his shooting. And there's a part of, I think, Denny, too, as well. And I'm not saying that I don't like him as a player. I just wouldn't take him at four for the Bulls. I, I have the feeling that he's not going to be the stat stuffer where if you didn't watch the game and you looked at the box score the next day, you'd be like, oh, wow, seven points, five rebounds, four assists, two steals. That's the number four pick. But if you actually watch the game, I think that he'll have more impactful moments, perhaps like, like that steal that one of the steals is perhaps going to come at a pivotal time during the game. You know, maybe the three that he hits to give him seven points was a huge three in the third, fourth quarter. So I think he could definitely be a type of guy that could be a gamer and someone that can actually show up in moments in basketball games that actually really count instead of, you know, just lighting it up in the second quarter. The other thing with Obi Toppin, too, that you brought up, which I thought of, and it could actually be something that the Bulls really need is he does seem like the type of dude that, you know, you're on a back-to-back night, you're on the circus trip, you were in Phoenix last night, you're in Sacramento tonight. Maybe Obi Toppin's the type of guy that's going to bring it every single night on the night when maybe they're dragging ass a little bit, the dude that's going to run the, heart, the floor really hard every single time a guy that can take it coast to coast. And maybe that's what the Bulls need a little bit too, where they're not the type of team that can just go out there and just win a basketball game. They have to play with rhythm. They have to play smart. They have to play disciplined. And it seems like they struggle a lot with the flows of an NBA game where they'll put together a good first quarter. Things will kind of go bad a little bit. And the next thing you know, that's what bad teams do. They eventually, they lose control of the game and then they lose the game entirely. Obi Toppin can maybe a little, be, a little bit of that momentum shifter who can make those big plays, a thunderous dunk here, maybe a three in the corner, maybe an end-to-end steal, you know, maybe something on the defensive side of the ball. And, and I think that can do wonders for a young team like the Bulls who's trying to get back in the playoffs after years and years of ineptitude. Choi, hop in. Well, yeah, it's funny that we need a rookie to bring that out of our team, right? But <laughs> sure. again, once, once again, though, I, you nailed it. I mean, on top of this motor and on top of this, you know, 100% effort, both Denny and Oban have, at least by all accounts, a killer mentality to their game as well. I can't think of a single bull who has that killer, like, I'm just going to rip your throat out this game Chris mentality. Dunn, I mean, tiny bit. E- even then, there's not any guy who's just like in that mold of like, 
man, like, you know, I mean, God, I don't even want to say Michael Jordan because any kind of comparison will fall short. But just that idea that, like, I, I'm, I'm going to go, like, out and, like, you know, break car windows with a bat if just I don't play no a good Chione, game. No Chioni, dude. Know? Just no Chioni. Yeah, exactly, right? You know like, I mean? that attitude of just, Tyson. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, right? yeah. Ty- Tyson so, for a stretch. Yeah, you're right. Like, if, if Chris Dunn is our biggest killer attitude on this roster, who might not even be on this roster come the beginning of the season, yeah, we, we need an infusion of that, just that, that mentality, because I think that's just as important as any other aspect of the game. All right, I'm going to drop my pick in here, and uh, I got to tell you guys, I'm super bummed, because I thought for like a month I was like really smart about it, and then the website that we all like uh, and then the podcast that I listened to, I was texting with Higgs like four or five days ago and I was like, all right, spill the beans. Who's it going to be? And I thought this was going to be a big old surprise. And then he's like, oh no, dude, the ringer's all over this guy. You got to check it out. <laughs> I looked it up and I was like, ah, shit. But dude, honestly, I like Killian Hayes. Um, I think that's the pick. You know, you guys, you guys know me off the text thread. You don't know me on the pod situation, but I'm at the point in the Bulls organization where we need to find an all-star. We don't need to find the dude who's going to make the right play. We don't need to find the right fit. We don't need the guy who's had great college success. We need to find, you know, the diamond in the rough. And I think our best chance at that is probably Killian Hayes. You might say to yourself, number four, Joey, that's too pricey. But you know what? With this team and a new organization, this is the time to do it. You know, this is, to me, the Michael Porter Jr. of the draft of this year. And the reasons why I like it, of course, there's some deficiencies to his game, but you just watch him. He's got an NBA modern game. I mean, the dude has the vision that we've talked about with the LaMelo ball. He makes 86% of his free throws, something that Denny doesn't do. He's got a step back shot. His stroke is so smooth. And if you look at his stats, you know, he started off, I mean, he's a dude from France. He started off his year hitting only, I think, like 19, 20% from three-point range. By the end of the year, he was hitting 39%. If you look to 1.8 steals per game, too, as well. So great. Got a lot to work on defensively, but still a guy that has a knack for at least getting the ball and causing turnovers. I know the dude can only go left and will only go left and cannot go right. And oh, did I mention he can only go left? But this is a guy that I just think if you give him a couple years, he doesn't have to do much next year because this is still Zach Levine's team. You will have to make a decision on Zach at some point, but this could be a guy that eventually could turn into, I don't want to say James Harden, but he could turn into that Devin Booker type player, the guy that can drop you 38 on a night and kind of carry a team. I like Killian Hayes. Fight me on it. No, no, no. but Higgs, Higgs, hop in. I want to hear your guys' thoughts on what you think, and would you be upset if they took Hayes? Um, I would not be upset. No, I, I, I like him as well. Um, I think the only knock, like you said, he doesn't use his right hand. But uh, Choi, I thought, uh, had a good comparison earlier. And not the same, of course, but Luca-esque. That's what I thought watching the tape. Just some of those passes he's making cross-court, like whipping it. where I would have never seen that. That's what it reminded me of. And, and like you said, like, this guy could be a home run, man. Um, so I wouldn't be upset at all. I like him a lot as well. Choi, I want to get your thoughts on Killian Hayes. Well, I mean, you guys just nailed it. I don't want a point guard who only goes to his left at this point in his career. And again, I know, what is he, 19, 20? He's a young man. Yeah, yeah. You know, again, the idea that, yeah, you could develop and kind of be, you know, uh, go both ways and learn that aspect. I don't, I think, 
at this point in your life, if you're so ingrained that you are predominantly a left-handed guy in terms of your playmaking uh, skills, I, I, I don't want that out of my point guard. And as Aaron uh, said earlier, with, with his kind of like secondary guy that he might want at number four, I'd much rather go Halliburton. If I'm going to go a point guard, I'd rather miss with – Halliburton gives you everything in my opinion that Hayes gives you but with more athleticism and I know we you know depending on what side of the athleticism argument you want to take who knows how underrated or overrated that component is um you know I yeah but I agree like it's like this idea that like his biggest downside also is is what they say lack of athleticism now in the best case scenario he could be a guy like Andre Miller right just this slinky smooth player who just plays for the next 20 years in the NBA um, but again, if, if, if I'm going to miss on a point guard, I want that outside of ball. I do not want ball. I do not want ball on this team, but I rather miss with Halliburton than, than miss with Hayes. Sounds like you want ball Choi. No. Uh, and I, and I'm with you too. I, I will not be upset if they take Halliburton. Halliburton to me seems like the safer pick. Now, when we say that he can't go left, I mean, obviously he can dribble with his right hand. He just has a lot of problems like defenses can immediately kind of shut it down. He doesn't really have he doesn't really have his game going to the right side. So clearly something he's got to work on. I do think that uh uh Hayes has like a thicker frame which I find really interesting where I think he can actually grow when you're talking about athleticism and jumping ability and vertical all that kinds of stuff. I actually think that he's a dude that can get stronger. He doesn't really have that thin type frame that really scares me. And again the thing that I like about Hayes is he's got a little bit of everything that we've talked about about all the guys that we like a whole lot. He can shoot. He's got vision. He can pick up some steals. He sounds like kind of a fun fantasy pick in like the 12th round next year. And then the other one, I was watching a clip of him on YouTube, and they just kind of go through the NBA comps and stuff, different parts of his game, and you've got his step-back shooting is, oh, it's like Harden, blah, blah, blah. But then it goes to like craftiness, and this is the part that I like about Denny the most, and Hayes has got a little bit of it too, where they go, his craftiness NBA comp is Manu Ginobili and Dwayne Wade. And I went, all right, that's it. What are we, what are we waiting for? Honestly, <laughs> like, what are we waiting for? The Bulls have never had anything like that. I think he'll be a different type of player. Again, if he, we don't take him and we take a guy like Halliburton, am I going to be upset? No. A guy that I will be upset if the Bulls take him is the Okoro kid. And I do want to hear your guys' thoughts on it. The best perimeter defender in the draft First of all, who cares? Second of <laughs> all, have you guys seen this guy shoot yet? Holy smokes. Holy smokes. It's not good. And they've got him. I got, I've seen multiple mock drafts of Okoro going to the Bulls at four. Um, <laughs> there are players in this draft that will make me upset if the Bulls take them. Uh, Higgs, outside of maybe LaMelo Ball, is there a guy maybe on this board that if the Bulls take him, you're going to be like, why? No, I, I, I 100% agree with you on that one um yeah i mean like you said who gives a shit yeah you're a great defender but and every team needs that i'm not knocking that but you got to have more to it than just being a good defender at the nba level especially the number four pick so somebody else wants to take him yeah great go for it but out of like the top 10 guys i would think of the top 10 besides lot uh lamello he would be my least favorite yeah, Choi, is there anyone on that list that if the Bulls take besides Lamelo, you're going to be upset? Like Acuna Agonwe, uh, seems like this is the Bam Adebayo, uh, Bismack Biombo, Mo Bamba pick of the NBA draft. I mean, uh, do, do you like him? Would you be upset if the Bulls took him? Is there a guy no, on the list I, that you don't want? Not at all. But again, uh, to me, actually, somebody on the roster that we already have that is 
is similar, at least has the potential to be similar, is Wendell Carter. So junior. So I mean, I don't. Why are we drafting another Wendell Carter Jr. type unless we're trading him? But then again, if we're trading him to then bring him bring in like the USC version of him back to the Bulls, like what was the point if it's a non-sum game? Um, yeah, Okoro. Th- that actually proves if if a guy like Isaac Okoro is a top 10 pick, maybe even a top five pick. That just shows how weak this draft is. Yeah. God help us. He's Stanley Johnson too. I mean, (laughs) he's think of, think of another bulls comp. He's Tony Snell. I mean, he makes Tony (laughs) Snell look like, you know, like, you know, Kawhi Leonard, if if this guy is a a potential top four pick. Um, So no, yeah, yeah. I would be, I would be mad at both those picks. Um, you know, are, are we talking about sleeper lottery picks yet? Or are, are we at that point? Yeah, I can hold I'm off. ready. I, I mean, I'm going to start, I'm going to start hitting a little, like, I'm going to start hitting some outside the box stuff and then we're going to get out of here. So I'd love to hear some sleeper picks from you. Yeah. The, the one pick I would not be mad at at all. If we trade down, uh, it'd be too high at four to draft him outright. But if we trade down Aaron Neesmith, you guys remember that name out of Vanderbilt. I mean, we're talking, uh, I mean, I don't want to say his shooting could be on par with the likes of Steph Curry, but very much on par with one of Steph's teammates and Clay Thompson. I mean, we talk about free throw shooting percentage. He shot uh, in both his freshman and sophomore year over 82% from the line, much less last year from three point 50% from the three point range at Vandy. So, I mean, a guy who, again, what do we need on the Chicago bulls shooting? We need uh, when I when is the last time is is Ben Gordon the last time we had a pure shooter on the Chicago Bulls roster? Oh, I, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like Lowry is that guy. They just haven't utilized him the right way, personally. Well, but right, and then we had uh, we, I mean I don't know if you want to put Kyle, I mean, Kyle Corver into the mix yeah, when, yeah. on those D Rose teams. But it, it, and, uh, Doug but McDermott, guys. <laughs> but it's been a while since we've had a legitimate pure shooter where we're like when that guy gets hot he's gonna drop like eight threes maybe kobe white could be that potentially potentially yeah kobe white's got a lot of he's got a lot of ben gordon in him to me and i don't see him um and i think this is a good thing i'm saying this in a positive way i see him as perhaps a sixth man yes he could perhaps be in a starting lineup of some kind no i don't think he's a leading scorer on our team but i I think it was higgs that said earlier in the pod lou williams type a guy that can Get you that 16 points nightly, but every once in a while get you 27 to 28 yeah. a night. I think there's a lot of value for guys like that in the NBA. So, well, and again, like a, a comp from the Bulls, he's Ben Gordon with handles. I mean, he's Ben Gordon in the best case scenario. He's Kobe White is Ben Gordon with handles. Um, but yeah, I uh, if, if I don't know if you guys watched tape on Aaron e. Smith yet, but but oh. check this guy out. I mean, I. I I, I correct me if I'm wrong, but I think he is also projected as the best shooter in this draft. So again, if we trade and move back to like, let's say the tennis range, I would be not upset at all. If we drafted Aaron E. Smith. Well, I'm looking at the uh, Rangers draft guide, the, the mock draft. And they got him going 19. They got him going 19. What yeah. do they have the, the Terry kid going? 17. My hoops, honchos, we got to get you out of here on one last topic here. There's a lot of rumors going around. Russell Westbrook wants out of Houston. James Harden wants out of Houston. Bradley Beal always on the trade block. C.J. McCollum, you know, the Portland Trailblazers, they're always, like, looking to perhaps change their team a little bit, break up that backcourt. Rumors of Zach Levine going to Dallas. Let's just start here. Westbrook, Harden, any of those interest you on the Bulls? No. 
<laughs> yeah. No. I'm, with, I'm with you. Too much money and just, yeah, not. <laughs> just not interested, man. Just not interested. Maybe yeah, back in the day, Westbrook, um, you know, when he was younger, I used to love Westbrook. He was awesome. I just kind of don't like him. Harden, it's, I'll be honest, I'm not as big of a Harden hater as a lot of people are. I mean, I remember seeing that dude in the corner, a guy literally just bodying him up, and he just jacked a three in his face with no room. I was just like, wow, that's not easy to do, man. But I don't want him on my team. Don't want him. Well, and the reason why I ask is, and obviously Harden's, uh, what is he going to be, 32, and he's got a ton of money on his contract and all that other stuff. But typically, the Chicago Bulls have become that team that are, you know, the desperate wasteland of taking the aging star and putting him on our team just to sell tickets and put him on the poster. And that's the team that the Bulls have become. And it's sorry to say, but it's actually true. So when players like that pop up on the trade market, you know, the Bulls, you know, naturally kind of get connected to them somehow of like, well, could they be a fit over there? And I think what you're saying now is that, you know, there's kind of a new day, there's a new ownership going on right now in the Bulls. And, you know, maybe that's just not the direction that we want to go, you know, despite the fact that, you know, Harden probably does have a couple of good elite years left in him. Choi, Westbrook or Hoy, uh, Harden, excuse me, any interest of him going to the Bulls for you? Would that get you going at all? No, because I'm, I'm right on line with uh, Aaron. I mean, if we were kind of, you know, we talked about earlier, if we were kind of in a situation like Phoenix bringing in CP3, maybe if we were a, a playoff team that ne needed to make that next jump, maybe it makes sense. But um, we're nowhere near that right now. And, you know, the idea that both Westbrook and Harden now are in their early 30s, like wh what is two or three? I mean, you're right, it sells more tickets. But in terms of a franchise, where does that get us? Especially considering the capital that we would have to trade away to get them, whether it's draft picks or anybody on our current roster. So what is that? I mean, what is that equal if basically if we're having to trade Zach Levine, you know, a guy like Wendell Carter and maybe a, a, a draft pick this year or next year to get Harden or Westbrook? How much better of a team are we other than selling, you know, a little bit more tickets, maybe getting a one or two more national games? Um, so, yeah, yeah, no, I, I think we are on that route of, in the best case scenario, we're in that route of developing our current roster with, uh, you know, kind of uh, whoever we draft, if we keep this pick at number four and kind of moving forward that way. I, I just don't want to bring in anybody that's in their 30s um, to, a, to a rebuilding situation. I'm completely with you guys. I just had to ask to get it on the record. But, you know, in the past, yeah, it'd be a situation of would the Bulls get Russell Westbrook just to get him to the eighth or seventh seed? I think they're trying to go and reach for the stars is a little bit more. Maybe just the timing isn't right. Higgs, hop in. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I feel like I could be wrong. I feel like most Bulls fans want to see what Billy Donovan can do with the team that we have. I felt for the past couple of years on paper, we have a pretty good team, not a championship team, but a pretty good team. And we've had a lot of injuries, a lot of injuries over the past two years. So we have not really had one full season of this roster. And I'm, like I said, I'm really excited to see what Billy Donovan can do with these guys. I mean, he's successful at the Thunder. So I don't actually really want to mess with the roster too much, trading guys and all. I think let's see what we have. And, I, and I'm with you on that too as well. We're in an interesting place where – we're pretty thirsty as Bulls fans. I think we would really love to see a playoff roster on the basketball court, but we all are also are entering a situation where this year in particular, getting through this year, at the end of it, we have a lot of decisions to make on that roster that you're talking about, Hagel, where, you know, Zach Levine's going to be up for more money. 
Otto Porter's money is going to come off the books. Let's be honest. I don't think we're probably re-signing him. And if we are, it's going to be for a third of the price of the $28 million that he's making this year. We got a decision to make on Laurie Marketing, and we're going to be coming up close to making a decision on Wendell Carter. So we're in a situation where we can take these guys with Billy Donovan, as you said, see what we got. Let's be honest. It could go bad. We could also, you know, we can win 25 games again this year. It's definitely very possible. Or we can maybe, you know, compete a little bit, get to 35-40, see if we can make the playoffs. But I think what you're saying is let's figure out what we got here because after this year, we have a situation where we could become very financially flexible and it could put us in a situation where we could be able to, I don't know, I don't want to say go out and go big fish hunting again, but at least be in a position to be an attractable place for a younger, maybe core set of people that you can sign and perhaps bring into the team. And then I don't know, see what you get. You know, I don't know. I don't know if the Greek freak is coming here. I know Anthony Davis opted out of his contract. We'll see if he goes long-term or whether he goes short-term again, because he knows LeBron's going to be on a short-term deal too as well, or he commits to the Lakers long-term. Not saying that those are going to be our options that are going to be destinations for our basketball team moving forward, but you know, keep the door open a little bit. I'm with you. See what Billy Donovan has. Hopefully you hit on this number four pick and hopefully this team can stay healthy and maybe present exciting basketball on Madison. <laughs> For just a, a nice little stretch of time for the first time, I think, in a long time. Choi, hop in. No, you guys, again, I think we're all in accord with this idea that let's see what Billy Donovan can do. Um, other than the idea that next year sets up what kind of uh, attractive possibility the Bulls could potentially be for future free agents. Uh, God, if man, if we got AD back in Chicago, that would be amazing. But out, outside of uh, of kind of doing that, setting that precedent for incoming free agents and seasons to come. This year is the best year to kind of be uh, uh, experimental in what you can do as a franchise because of the fact that we're still coming off of COVID. So the money situation's down. A lot of teams, well, I mean, I guess the CP3 move kind of disputes that, but you would have thought because of, you know, the money situation being down from lost revenue last year that the free agent moves wouldn't be as much this year um but you know then again we talk about joey we talked about it in a previous podcast otto porter jr is the most paid athlete in the city of chicago of He's all chicago sports he makes the most money and to put it also in perspective he makes more money at least this year or the last or la last year it's weird with this covid situation to call it this year last year but he makes more money than ad Otto Porter makes more money than Anthony Davis. Just let that sink in for a little bit. So, yeah, I no. mean, yeah, it, it, it's kind of crazy when you think about that. But, again, we talked about it in the very beginning uh, with this number four pick, if we keep it, it's all about hope. It's all about this idea that, like, what could be for this franchise. And let's say it, like I said at the top, here are the number four picks the Chicago Bulls have had. So, low bar. Tom Borwinkle in 1968. Pfizer's on there yeah. for sure. Yeah. Eddie Curry in 2001. Marcus Pfizer in 2000. Uh, a guy named Kelvin Ramsey in 1980 that we, uh, I guess we traded away for Ronnie Lester. And then technically speaking, we, we technically drafted LaMarcus Aldridge at number two, but then traded for the amazing Tyrus Thomas at number four at 2006. So low bar. So if we keep the no, number four pick, if we don't at least have a guy who is better than any of those previous five, it's going to be a bust. The funniest part about Tyrus Thomas was literally it scared Paxson from drafting anyone risky uh, for like the next like 10 years. Like Tyrus Thomas yeah, was yeah. kind of his home run swing. The guy that can jump out of the gym, he can do it all. But, he was such a wild bust that 
literally like before we would draft bulls players we'd be like okay did you go to college for four years <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah. what's your one loss record on your college basketball yeah. team because if it wasn't over 600 and you didn't go to college for four years we were not drafting you because we needed a short thing yeah. like that really well, and, i think that really traumatized him by all accounts seemed like a nice guy because aaron do you remember like so this is like 10 plus years ago but uh, i had a friend who played uh, well family friend who played for the clippers aaron williams so we used to uh, uh he used to give us ticks to the game so one of the games I brought Aaron with. So we were kind of down in that hallway area when all the players are coming by. And he like, you know, we're nobody. And Tyrus Thomas is just like nodding at us and smiling at us as he was walking by. So like, seemed like a really nice guy and can jump out of the roof. But, you know, that, that doesn't make you a good NBA player. A good smile doesn't give you a good jump shot. Otherwise, we would all be in the NBA, gentlemen. Uh, any, any, any more thoughts, uh, Higgs? Any more thoughts before you head into this NBA draft? I know that you're excited. And uh, we're going to see how the chips fall where they may. But uh, any final thoughts? Yeah, one last, I'm going to ask you guys a quick question on the way out. Uh, who's the one draft pick the Bulls made that you thought was going to be great and ended up being terrible? Ooh, I'll go a, first. Yeah, go I'll first. I'll go first. But you got to think about it. Mine, for sure, <clears throat> in the 21st century, would be Marcus Pfizer. I loved him at Iowa State. I thought he was going to be a beast. I was pumped the Bulls got him. They did have some huge games, actually. Look at his stats. He had some monster games, but he flamed out after what, two, three years or something. So uh, that, that's my pick who I thought would be good for the Bulls, and he did not. Um, I, got a good, I got a good one for you, and he ended up actually having a pretty decent NBA career. Um, I thought, you know, I thought Eddie Curry was going to be amazing. <laughs> I, I really did. Really? I thought Eddie Curry – yeah, dude. I just thought he, he had the soft, he had that soft touch. He had post moves out of high school, which I thought was like kind of advanced. Like when we were watching Tyson Chandler try and still figure out, you know, spacing and where to be on the floor and being this athletic freak. And, you know, some of the guys that would come out of high school, just Eddie Curry just seemed kind of ready to roll. And I was kind of hoping that the NBA game would slowly like create a body that would make him like this imposing presence and this dude who would be like 18 to 10 20 to 10 every single night and he had that stretch that one season when ben gordon got super hot and we went to that next year with a lot of hope and optimism where you know eddie curry was our number we ran the offense through the guy and i just thought that he was really smooth close second for me was jamal crawford uh, i did think jamal crawford was going to be really good and unfortunately we gave up on him uh, a little bit too early. He, you know, he went on and have a, had a pretty decent career for himself. But still playing, still playing, yeah, still playing. <laughs> that's, that's totally true. We gave we gave up on him, and that was yeah, like yeah. seventeen years ago. And yeah. still in the league. But I don't know. I gotta go. I gotta go. Eddie Curry's the biggest bust. I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to be awesome. I really did. Troy, what's yours? Well, I don't know if we can technically classify him as a, as a bust but I remember being so excited when we drafted Jay Williams. I thought this kid was going to be, I mean, basically become Derrick Rose before Derrick Rose. Right. And uh, you know, we'll never know because of that motorcycle accident. And it's, it's funny to think if, if he would have reached anywhere near the talent that everyone assumed he would have reached playing in the NBA. It's just funny to think the butterfly effects, right? Cause we'll, we'll never know. It's a situation because it's not like, well, he was a buster. He didn't play well or he played really well. We'll never know because of that accident. So the butterfly effects of like what this franchise could have been today, had he become the player that everyone assumed he, he would become that that's that that'll always be a question that I wonder about, but yeah, yeah. Outside of, outside of D Rose, 
Jay Williams was like the guy I was so pumped for when we drafted. Yeah, we'll never know if he had learned how to shoot or not. I'll just never forget on Saturday Night Basketball, it was Wayne Larravee. He was on WGN. He dropped like a triple-double one night. It was like 14 points, 13 boards, like 13 assists. And it was just all over the court, like literally the best player on the floor that night and just gave you a little bit of a taste of what could have been. And I'll never forget that. Uh, Higgs, hop in. Piggybacking off that real quick. I was at that game. Oh, were you really? He only had, as far as I remember, he only had one career triple-double. And I was at that game, and like you were saying, I was like, wow, this guy's awesome. Going back to choice, or maybe it's your point, Joey, about uh, Eddie Curry. Let's say with that real quick. I remember when he was – there was a point where he was super dominant. And I remember Shaq playing him, and Eddie Curry had a monster game against Shaq. And after the game, Shaq said, this is the second best big man in the NBA behind me. And I was like, wow. And he could do those things, but he just didn't have that motor, man. Eddie Curry, he just didn't have it. In also, a health problems, right? He had the heart thing. Yeah, he had the heart so, problems. Yeah, yeah so. but that's the part that I never, I never could figure out where they always. And he, he's come out and he's talked openly about it, about how he never really liked basketball as much as a passion yeah. in his life. And like you said, motor. But that's the thing that drove me nuts is because his moves were so advanced and nuanced. His post moves were truly like ten-year veteran. You know, I mean, Antonio Davis was probably on that team being like, dude, how did, where did you get that move from? And that's the part that freaked me out is it, it sort of seemed like he was that kind of that savant or that student of the game that kind of knew how to work and move his body and the footwork and everything just seems so advanced to me at such a young age. And yeah, obviously we all know what happened to the guy, but I remember that stretch too as well. And, you know, just a fantastic basketball player. Well, we were waiting for Tyson Chandler to sort of figure out he was doing it very, very early on in his career. And he did put up some good numbers for New York too. He had a, a year or two where like he was, yeah, it was like 15 and nine at least. So, um, yeah, I think yeah, he got I mean, up to maybe 17 and nine, one of those yeah. years. And then obviously, yeah. uh, you know, yeah, weight issues off the court issues, financial issues, so much exactly. stuff yeah. kind of got in his way. But I mean, look, we could do a three hour pot of bulls draft picks that didn't work out, but <laughs> we're hoping we're keeping our hopes up for the next bulls draft pick coming up this Wednesday. They have the number four pick. We're going to see what happens. You guys just to get it on the record. My man, Choice, he's looking at Denny. Uh, if I remember correctly, Higgs, you want Halliburton. Halliburton's your choice. Is that correct? Sure. And I'm going for Killian Hayes. We'll see what happens. It could be one of those guys. It could be none of those guys. They could even trade out of the pick. All we know is that it's going to be exciting. And we love uh, get, get, getting a taste of the NBA right now and just getting a taste of our Bulls because it's been a long time. By the time they get back on the court in December and January, it might be almost 11 months since we last saw our team on Madison. So... Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me today. This was Betting Chicago. My name is Joey Christopoulos. This episode today was brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Make sure you head there this week. I bet you money they got some interesting odds and props going on right now for this NBA draft. So make sure you head over there right now. and Make sure you check it out this weekend for the NFL with their live betting app. Make sure you make some money with BetOnline.ag this weekend. With my man, my hoops honchos, Aaron Hagel and Mike Choi. Thank you so much for joining me, you guys. We got tons more pods coming this week, you guys. So make sure you stick around. Got some really, really cool, interesting stuff. So make sure you check it out. We'll be back very soon. Until then, be safe, be kind, be good to each other. We will talk then. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.